Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free whilst lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. Hello, hello, my friends, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, the markets have been down. I'm recording this in early June 2022. This episode, I believe, is coming out in August, so it'll be interesting to see where we are two months from now. And perhaps many of you, as you've been opening up your statements, you've woken up one day, gone to work, come back home, go to the mailbox, there's your statement waiting for you. Maybe you're feeling a little nervous, it's your 401k statement, you had a million dollars in it, you open it up, and you found out that, poof, you've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. That million-dollar portfolio just became $700,000 or $600,000 or $500,000. It's like it's gone, burned up, disappeared. Uh, Just thinking about that gets me both excited and gives me the shivers. And luckily, this doesn't happen to us overnight unless um, perhaps some of those stable dollar Uh, coins and um, things like that uh, certainly can go poof overnight. And um, while this doesn't seem to happen in the financial market, stuff like stocks and bonds, it certainly does happen quite often over the years. And perhaps this year, 2022, is one of those years that we have a bear market. As of the time of this recording, it hasn't happened yet, but I think there's a very good chance we could get there. And I've seen it, and it's real. And it leads to this problem called the behavior gap, which if you want to picture in your mind two lines, the first line goes goes up a good bit, goes down kind of back to where it started, and then goes way back up, way, way higher. Let's call that the investment return. Whereas let's imagine another line that starts out a little lower than that investment return, and it kind of tracks it, and then it goes down just the same amount that the investment return did, but then it doesn't go back nearly as high as the investment return did. I often see this being the investor return, and this difference between the investment return and the investor return is the behavior gap. I was inspired um, a number of years ago. There's a, a guy that does consulting with financial advisors. Guy's name is Carl Richards. He wrote a book on this subject, and uh, I geeked out on it enough that I wanted to share this with you. Um, the study that identified this behavior by investors, that difference between investment and investor return, that gap, was commissioned and championed by a company called Dalibar. Daily Bar? Dalibar? I don't know. D-A-L-I-B-A-R. Forgive me, Dalibar people, if I've got got your uh, name wrong. And what has happened time and time again in a period like we've been in this year is that the average investor 
in given categories has consistently underperformed a given benchmark, like the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones or whatever. And as uh, that beautiful drawing you imagine in your minds shows, investment returns are usually significantly higher than investor returns. And Dalabar shows year after year after year after year this occurs. And so, for example, in 2016, they found that the average equity mutual fund investor underperformed the S&P by a margin of minus 5%. The broader market made 12, average equity investor earned only 7. In 2016, average fixed investment, uh, fixed income like bonds, mutual fund investor underperformed the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index by a mar margin of negative 1.5%. Broader bond market made 2.6, average fixed fund investor earned 1.2. The equity fund retention rates decreased materially, for example, in 2016 from 4.1 to 3.8 years. So people held stuff for less. In 2016, if you look at the 20-year annualized return, so every year for 20 years, the S&P made 7.7%, while the 20-year return for the average equity fund investor was only 4.79, a gap of 2.9%. And so, my friends, this looks bad. You can imagine that compounding over time, over 20 years, multiple percentage points every single year lost by investors relative to investments. Now, I actually haven't seen the study. It costs like a few thousand dollars <laughs> to buy it. So it's a bit of a barrier to entry. And as I look at this data, I have a lot of questions because I don't know where they're pulling it from. When they look at those, those returns, are they looking at domestic, international, other indices? And looking at bonds, are they comparing the ag to junk bonds, short-term bonds, intermediate bonds, and all kinds of other ways you can slice up the pie of asset allocation? Are we comparing apples to apples or apples to oranges, bananas, and cucumbers? So that's a thing I don't really understand with the study. Um, are they looking at ETFs and how investors treat ETFs? Or are they just looking at actively managed mutual funds? Uh, are, does this include institutional money? Are they separating institutional money from retails, uh, investors? So um, I have a lot of questions about the data, but I can tell you from a, a client perspective of dealing with physicians, of dealing with um, a lot of people doing self-management, that the behavior gap is absolutely true. People get scared towards the bottom of a crash, towards a bad market like we've been having this year. And then ironically, in a rapidly rising environment, people are nervous, people are worried, people are frightened. And honestly, there's nothing I can do to convince them that staying in or maybe even getting more aggressive is the right thing to do. So what do they do? They sell. They burn the money. Their million dollars becomes $500,000. And they may have an extremely difficult time recovering when they're so conservatively allocated. So what does that look like? Why does that happen? Let me walk through a few numbers with you. So let's use the example of having a once in a 25-year event of a negative 50% um, bad year in the market. The million dollars becomes 500000 Someone sells out. 
right? At the worst possible time, near the bottom or at the bottom. So maybe they still have money invested, but it's in like bonds. Or maybe it's in money market where they're earning 1%. And now for a commercial break. Have you ever seen that ING commercial that has a bunch of people walking around with random numbers hanging over their head? Like one has 700,581,000 floating over their head. Another has 2,348,000 over there. And then another person is carrying this number, big old number, $1,438,921. And this can be so confusing. What is the difference between one or the other? How can they be so different? And it begs this question, what is my number? What does it take for me to retire? Well, if you've been wondering that, my friends, I put together this little ebook that's about 20 pages long, so quick, easy to read, called What's My Number? And it walks you through enough scenarios to try and help you answer that question and give you some feedback and thoughts in terms of do we have enough money? You don't want to be that physician that has to go back to work after being retired. So if you want to grab this report, we would love to make it available to you. Please give us a call at 612-284-2409, and we'd be happy to email that What's My Number report to you. Again, give us a call, 612-284-2409, and we can send the What's My Number report to you. And now, back to the show. Well, let's say the next year the market goes up 25%, which is very typical. Maybe it doesn't go up 50, but it goes up 25%. So the gap just started, right? They're $500,000. Maybe they earn, let's say they earn 5% because they're in some bonds that's paying a little bit of money market. Uh, a little bit of interest. So their 500 grand becomes 525. So they get some growth back on it, but they're still $475,000 below where they were. Let's say that other person that stayed invested, their 500,000 bucks is up 25%. Now they have $625,000. Do you see how much further ahead they are of the person that sold out near the bottom or at the bottom? Do they have their million dollars back yet? No but they're much further on the way to do it. And maybe that other person says, oh crap, I messed up, I'm getting back in now. But now they're so farther behind that person that stayed in. And what I believe um, what we should do about this is number one, never sell in a bear market, ever. Maintain your asset allocation. Matter of fact, at a minimum, I would tell you rebalance. Maybe look at your statements one time a year. If it's down, shred it, <laughs> get rid of it, don't look at it, don't focus on it. Alternatively, maybe you aren't 100% invested in stocks. Uh, maybe you only had 50% invested in stocks during a downturn. At a minimum rebalance, you know, if, if we're in a bear market, maybe the market's down 30%. Maybe you want to look at moving that 50% in stocks to 70 the market's down 40%, maybe you want to move that 70% to 90%. Take advantage of a downturn. So yes, we could be proactive. 
we could try and time the market by buying when stuff is down. However, I believe you have to have a system, one that you follow. And it can't, this can't be off your feelings. It can't be off your gut. And this is where I see people mess up time and time again. They don't have a mechanism to determine when they should buy or when they should sell. Worst case, you just do a buy and hold and strategy. That works. And that is awesome. And I believe that nobody is going to ever be able to perfectly time a market. However, in a year like this year, I believe we want to be greedy when others are fearful, fearful when others are greedy, to quote our good friend Warren Buffett. That's why I do believe we should do some timing. When the market is down, let's buy. When the market goes back to where it was, maybe you want to get back to your traditional asset allocation. I've really come to the conclusion more and more and more that um, that holding an asset allocation is wonderful and selling at a top is is very very difficult you can have systems to do it but man it can be so hard to pull a trigger it can be so so hard to pull a trigger and any timing strategy you use is it going to be perfect no it's not going to be perfect which is why to me if you're using timing strategies awesome but they should only be a part of your portfolio and if nothing else you know if you have a plan you have a portion of your portfolio towards timing, um, particularly buying when things are down, increasing your asset allocation in stocks when things are down. That can help to allay your fears of a credit market because you know you're taking action that has a history of repeating itself and doing well. Some takeaways that I want you to have. Um, number one, I think it's fair to point out no investment will consistently outperform an index that's trying to beat or mimic. As a matter of fact, I would say you're probably likely to outlose the index. Number two, even index funds have a small cost to them. Um, albeit it's a small cost, certainly some investments are better than others. So even if you buy a ETF that's tracking an index, you will lose relative to that index because you have a small degree of cost. So just keep that in mind. Um, we love the lower the cost, the better. We love anything that has less than a 50% expense ratio, particularly if it's like 0.10% or below. You can check out a Morningstar article for more details on that. Number three, it's fair to point out as a financial advisor that the cost of having an advisor can weigh heavily or positively on the results. There are advisors out there that will slam you into products, variable annuities, direct participation programs, loaded mutual funds or mutual funds with high 12B1 fees. These extra costs will definitely be a drag on the results compared to investors with low cost alternatives. On the other hand, when we use relatively low assets under management or an hourly fee, or some advisors use a flat fee, you may be able to minimize your costs of working with an advisor and thus look much better compared to the kind of scenarios we were talking about. A final point I would have, many investors doing it themselves get it wrong. They're selling low and buy high. If you want to be not that person, <laughs> if you don't want to be that person, 
you have to have discipline. You have to have determination. You have to have a system to help you overcome the average investor bias. Don't rely on your gut. If this is something you can't do on your own, you know you're subject to the whims and you know that you get emotional about it and it's something you can't do on your own, get help. Above all else, ask questions. Ask about expensive expenses. Get educated on how fund companies and advisors get paid. Get educated on podcasts like this about market cycles. What do good markets look like? What do bad markets look like? And if you dare, discover how to take advantage of good markets and buy on uh, when things are down and sell when things have recovered. But above all else, remember, my friends, mind that behavior gap. You got any questions about it? Uh, maybe you're planning for the future. Maybe you want a consultation. I would welcome a meeting with you. Feel free to give us a call for a 30-minute free strategy session. You can call or text 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. Remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant and you're looking for a second opinion, I'm making myself available for 30-minute strategy sessions. And if you want to arrange a time to meet with me to discuss your situation and see if we might be a good fit for one another, I'd like you to call our office and speak with Kyla. Our phone number is 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. And I look forward to helping you with your financial situation. And now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction in which we are not appropriately registered or excluded. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some 
chance in this particular podcast, I mentioned insurance products. Insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of an issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issuer. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.davidenniston.com. Thank you so much and have a good one. Bye-bye.